Nowadays, there's stuff, and there's stuff you don't need to know. A podcast that talks about geek and nerd culture and brings you the things that you want to hear about. What's up, know-it-alls? You're listening to Stuff You Don't Need to Know. I'm Jay, and let's get down to it. Alrighty, so in my continued quest to kind of let you guys in on, or not really let you guys in on, but just kind of tell you, you know, hey, what are some movies and shows and things that I've been binging during this whole quarantine period? Like I said, um, not too long ago, uh, when cleaning out the basement, cleaning out the garage, I came, aclo- came across a stack of uh, old DVDs and Blu-rays and whatnot that I had found. And uh, this was one that was in there that I was very, very excited to watch. Uh, but I figured, you know, let me let me save it for a bit, you know, uh, because it's it was it was a movie I remember fondly watching as a kid. Uh, you know, I've rewatched it a few times and, you know, really digging up this DVD. I really got into it. So this film came out in 1979 uh, and it's a film called The Warriors. Now, I'm sure a lot of people, you know, you've you've probably seen this film. If not, uh, I highly recommend to go out and see it because the thing is, I very recently did a rewatch really specifically for this podcast and I could tell you that just like back in 1979, uh it still holds up today. Now, granted when this film came out, you know, it really wasn't much of a success. Uh there actually was some controversy around it. We'll get into that a little bit later. But, you know, it definitely went on to become a cult classic and um and it's still very, very popular today. A lot of the cast members of the original Warriors, really, except for some of the bigger stars, they pretty much go to cons. Uh, they show up in their warrior gear. Uh, I think back in 2015, uh, that was, I, I don't really know the, the exact reason why, every single living member of the Warriors uh, showed up, and they pretty much rode the subway, I believe, from um, I believe from Van Cortlandt Park, uh, you know, where... Most of the where where the opening of the film takes place, uh, all the way down to Coney Island, they kind of did. I think I think it was uh, something. It was called the Warriors: The Last Ride. Um, I think back in two thousand five, there was a video game based uh, based on this movie. Michael Beck, who played the lead character Swan, uh, actually lent his voice to it. So even though initially maybe this film really didn't do so great at the at the box office uh you know really with the advent of uh, vhs tapes and then later dvds and whatnot it definitely became a cult classic so this film was directed by walter hill uh walter hill very famous hollywood director uh really 
making films, I believe, up until maybe 2010, 2015. But, you know, uh, aside from The Warriors, he's also known for... Um, He's also known for directing 48 Hours, Another 48 Hours, Streets of Fire, Brewster's Millions, and Red Heat. Um, this film was really made on a shoestring budget. Uh, it was made on a budget of $4 million. And, you know, despite some of the controversy and things, it actually ended up grossing $22.5 million. And like I said, really once VHS and, and DVDs came out, that's really when this film took place. Um, Michael Beck. Michael Beck plays the lead character of Swan. Um... He starred in some other films in the 70s and kind of some films in through the 80s. And he's done some television appearances. I think he he appeared in Miami Vice. He appeared uh, on the show Jack. Really what I remember him for, I mean, I remember him for, for playing Swan in this movie. And then in 1980 or 1981, when my mom took me to the movies to see the legendary film Xanadu, he was the main guy there. And I remember, you know, this wasn't a film that I saw in the theaters because I think I said uh, the last film I talked about, The Blues Brothers, that was the first R-rated film that I saw in the theaters. Now, back then we had HBO, so I was watching R-rated films all the time. You know, this was something that I saw on HBO. So when we went to the theaters to see Xanadu and I saw, I didn't know the actor's name, Michael Beck at the time, but basically when I saw Swan, you know, playing this roller skating artist, sensitive guy type thing. I was like, what am I watching here? This is nuts. Famed character actor James Remar plays gang member or warrior, a member of the Warriors Ajax. Um, if you're not quite sure who he was in the film, um, because he is very, very, like, if you know the actor James Remar, you might not recognize him in this film because he is incredibly young. This was one of his first films. Um, he, uh, Ajax, is the member of the gang that he, uh, he's kind of like the really violent one. Uh, he's always looking to bust some skulls. He's always looking to score with the women. And a little bit more on that later because he does get into trouble. Like I said, James Remar, I mean, he's, he's a famed character actor, kind of known for playing villains. Uh, he played the villain in 48 Hours. He played, I believe, uh, legendary gangster Dutch Schultz in the movie The Cotton Club. Uh, more recently, you might know him as, uh, if you ever saw the show Dexter, he played Dexter's dad. Um, so there you go. That's James Remar. Some other famous or infamous actors and actresses, um, the character Mercy, uh, who's a woman that the Warriors meet pretty much after the events that happened at the summit, um, She's played by Deborah Van Valkenburg. Uh, again, pretty much just like Michael Beck, she had gone on to star in a few other films. But the thing is, and I had to look this up because I didn't realize this, because when I was watching it, I mean, you know, she has a very distinct look. Uh, you know, uh, Deborah Van Valkenburg has a very distinct look to her. And when I was doing my rewatch, I was like, okay, you know, I remember from my younger days <laughs> watching her. But for some reason, she just seemed very, very familiar to me. She played one of the two sisters on the show, Too Close for Comfort. Um, I don't know if a lot of you guys know that show. That was kind of a big, uh, starring Ted Knight, that was like a big sitcom in the 80s. She played the sister Jackie, which who, of course, was the, the there were two sisters. One was a blonde, and uh, Jackie, of course, was the brunette. 
Uh, David Patrick Kelly plays Luther. Luther is really like, he's kind of the big villain in this film. Uh, he's the one that shoots uh, the main gang leader, Cyrus, blames it on the warriors, pretty much hunts him down. And of course, he's the one at the end of the film, clanking the beer bottles together. Warriors come out to play. That's him. Um, again, just like a lot of the other people on this list here, you know, he had gone on to really star in a lot of different things. He's probably most famous for the movie Commando. And in the movie Commando, he played the guy Sully, who kind of like set everything up. And, you know, he was the first one that Schwarzenegger killed, um, quite famously chasing him, causing a car crash, and then with one arm holding him by his leg over the side of a cliff, uh, getting information out of him and then saying, remember, Sully, I said I'd kill you last. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes, I lied. And he dropped him. That was Sully. And that was David Patrick Kelly. Um, another character in this film uh, who's mostly heard but very, very rarely seen is the DJ. The DJ is actually very, very important in this film. Um, she's the one that kind of gets the word out that every gang in New York is going to be looking for the warriors. Uh, she gives uh, the other gang members, or she calls them boppers. She gives them updates uh, pretty much on the gangs that failed. And that's how I learned a lot of the gang names. Um, you know, when I did this rewatch, I actually started writing them down because, you know, really aside from the warriors and a couple of others, you really don't know who some of these gangs are. Um, this actress is, uh, the actress, her name is Lynn Thigpen. And the thing is, is again, doing the rewatch, hearing the voice, I was like, okay, I know, I know this person. And I looked it up. If you ever saw the uh, movie lean on me, which was the, um, based on the life of Joe Clark, who was a principal in Elizabeth, New Jersey, she pretty much plays the angry mom in that, you know, the one when Joe Clark comes in and takes over and kicks all the riffraff out of the school. Uh, she's the mom that kind of goes on the warpath against Joe Clark. Uh, he's the one who said, you know, she used to call me crazy Joe. Now she can call me Batman. That's who he's referring to. So like I said, you know, um, uh, in the Warriors, I think one of the things, you know, you know, and again, I'm not really going to go over the story or anything. I mean, you know, <laughs> If you've seen it, you pretty much know the basic story of it. If you haven't seen it, I don't want to spoil it for you. Definitely go out and do a rewatch. But one of the one of the things that this film is really, really famous for is all the various gangs that are in it. And of course, all these gangs are completely fictitious. You know, there were no warriors. Um, Cyrus's gang. Cyrus, again, is the guy who has the big summit uh, up in Van Cortlandt Park. Of course, his famous line is, you know, can you dig it? Um his his gang is known as the they were the riffs they were the gramercy riffs the gramercy park riffs uh, of course there were the warriors um and like i said the warriors were made up of uh you know cleon who was their leader uh who gets taken out early on michael beck's character swan james remore played ajax uh, other members of the gang were rembrandt who was kind of like what you would call a tagger you know he clearly is the youngest guy here uh he carries around the spray paint and he pretty much you know marks up the warrior's territory the warrior's turf um other members of the gang were cowboy because he wears a cowboy hat uh there was snow there was cochise uh you pretty much know who cochise is because he's pretty much decked out in native american gear um there was vermin and there was fox and like i said you know, all throughout this film, uh, especially in the beginning, because, you know, one of the things about this film is, is it's a big summit of the top 100 
main gangs all throughout the five boroughs. Uh, each gang, each one of these gangs is supposed to send nine representatives all coming in unarmed. And when the film starts, we see a lot of these gangs kind of mobilizing and heading out. And uh, pretty much after the events that happened at the summit and the warriors have to go from deep in the Bronx all the way back to Coney Island, they run into a lot of other gangs on the way. And uh, like I said, you know, there were the Gramercy Riffs who was, you know, they're kind of credited as being the largest gang in New York City. Uh, this was Cyrus's gang, the one who wanted to put this big summit together. Uh, the first gang that the warriors kind of uh, run into and are chased by are the uh, Turnbull ACs. Um, they're kind of, you know, they're the ones in the in the film that drive the bus and they all have shaved heads. Um, there's the orphans that, you know, the warriors run into them. They're a very, 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 very low level gang. I think somebody in the warriors makes the comments like they're so down. They're so, like they're so down the line. They're not even on the map. Uh, the baseball furies. Baseball Fears was probably one of the most recognizable gangs from the Warriors. Uh, they pretty much dressed in pinstripes. And of course, you know, listen, there was no Yankees logo on it or anything for copyright reasons, quite obviously. But they were dressed uh, in pinstripes. They pretty much had face paint on and they swung their baseball bats. Uh, there was a gang called the Lizzies and they were an all girl gang. Um, what was pretty unique about like the warriors running with them was, um, you know, unlike the other gangs that pretty much try to chase them down and kill them and beat them up. The Lizzie's, you know, didn't really come off as a gang so much. And they really tried to use their feminine charms to, you know, lure, you know, the few members of the warriors that they met back to their place to try to kill them there. Um, there's another gang called the punks. Uh, the punks are the ones that you see, uh, in one of the subway fights, uh, their leader goes around on roller skates. They're all wearing overalls. They're pretty much the last gang that the warriors run into until they make it back to Coney Island. Um, some of the other gangs that we see, uh, we see the rogues. The rogues is the one that's Luther's gang. You know, Luther, the one who pretty much triggers off all the trouble in this film, um, they're kind of like, I don't know really, they all kind of wear these leather motorcycle caps and they go around in this spray painted up old car, but one of my favorite gangs, and we only see them in the beginning when we see all these different gangs kind of boarding the subways and heading up to the Bronx. This gang is really, really distinct because they all had bright yellow satin jackets and the name of the gang, cause it's spray, it's splayed right across the back of their jackets. There are the electric eliminators. I mean, I just, you know, again, when I did the rewatch and you see all the gangs kind of mobilizing in the beginning, I mean, you see these guys and like I said, you know, they really, really stand out. And, you know, one of the things is, is, you know, at this time in New York, uh, late seventies into the early eighties, there were gangs, there were gangs all throughout New York. Um, and when I kind of talk about some of the some of the things that happened on set, you know, we're definitely going to be talking gangs, but, um, you know, the, the director, Walter Hill, what he wanted to do is, you know, he, he kind of wanted to make this almost like a fantasy film, almost like a comic book film. And actually, depending on what cut of the film you get, there are certain cuts of the film. I don't know if it was released theatrically or if this was something that they did 
it kind of went to the cutting room floor and they brought it back later. But a lot of the scene transitions, and I didn't see it in my copy, but I have seen it online and, and, and I've seen, you know, people talk about it. They actually did kind of comic book transitions where they almost did like a rotoscope animation. Uh, you actually have the, the live film there and then they animate on top of it. They actually draw on top of it and they would use that for scene transitions complete with speech bubbles and, and you know, action panels and whatnot. And, you know, that was something that was really, really unique and really, really distinct. But like I said, you know, these gangs are very noticeable, colorful, to the point that they're actually very, very over the top. And that's really kind of like what they were going for. You know, yes, this is a violent film, but really when you look at it compared to films later on and even today, it's really not as violent as a lot of films out there. I mean, there's really very, very, very few deaths in it. Uh, most of the fighting is fist fighting, you know, baseball bats, you know, maybe some weapons, you know, switchblades barely make an appearance, but they do. And like I said, you know, the, the producers and, and, you know, the director was pretty much trying to tell a really, really good story, but was also trying to really add in a big fantasy element with it. And like I said, with all these different gangs, especially the baseball furies, I mean, he really did, uh, or they, I should say they really did a good job of that. So the movie, the warriors was actually based on a graphic novel by an author named Saul Urich, who actually based his book on the Greek story of Anabasis, which was the story of about 10,000 Greek soldiers who were pretty much trapped behind enemy lines in Persia, and they had to pretty much make their way across a very hostile environment, a very dangerous environment, really just to try to get back home to Greece, uh, to get safely back home to Greece. So you could definitely see the parallels there. If you watch the film, um, you it's really obvious to tell that this film was shot entirely on location uh, in New York City, uh, Bronx, Manhattan, and of course in Brooklyn. Um, like I said, this film was made in, in 78, 79. And at this time, a couple of things going on in New York City. First of all, they are in the midst of a massive fiscal crisis. Um, I remember as a kid, there were headlines and news reports of, is New York City going bankrupt? Um, so, you know, the New York City Film Department, I guess, you know, or whoever would approve this was like, yeah, sure, please, you know, please film here. Uh, please spend your money here. And, uh, you know, as you can tell by watching the movie, everything was shot at night. Now, they filmed this in the summer. So, of course, it's summer. So, you know, days are long, nights are not. So they had to wait until really late at night to start filming this. Um, because of the parts of New York that they film it in. And again, if you, if you watch this film, um, I mean, I remember as a kid, you know, when you watch this film, you know, if you're younger, if you've been to New York city recently, you would say like, this is not what New York city looks like as a kid growing up, you know, late seventies, early eighties, really honestly up until the early nineties. Yeah. New York city did look like this. Um, you know, like I said, they filmed on location. Um, there's a lot of scenes or some big scenes that take place uh, in a subway station at 96th and Broadway. That's right by Central Park. And some of it also is filmed in Central Park. Yeah, nowadays, this is a really, really nice place. But what you see there, I mean, you know, the, the crew didn't 
didn't, you know, make it look that way. I mean, that's how the subways look. So when you watch this film, you really get a good idea of what New York City looked like in the late 70s into the early 80s. Because they were filming in these spots and because they were filming at night, there was the threat of real-life gangs. And in fact, you know, gangs and and really other people in neighborhoods would come out and kind of interrupt, you know, filming and production. At one point... um, when they were filming underneath an elevated train, uh, there were there were members of a gang that went up on top onto the subway platform and actually urinated down on the cast and crew. Uh, things got so bad that the film crew actually hired somebody who was known as a gang advisor who really kind of knew the in, ins and outs of gang life in New York City. Uh, he would tell them, like, look, you know. Everywhere you want to film, there are going to be gangs, but he would kind of steer them into the direction of neighborhoods that were that had gangs that were maybe a little bit more friendly and not ultra violent. Now, again, you know, a lot of the violence that you see in this film, like I said, it's a lot of hand to hand stuff. You know, there are some knives, there are some baseball bats and things like that. I don't know, want to know if we want to say thankfully or, or not, but that was really kind of the level of violence that they were expecting. And the thing is, is this gang advisor would really, really try to steer them towards neighborhoods where, yes, there will be gangs, but they're reasonable. We can talk with them. They'll let us film here. Um, there was a gang in Coney Island. It was not the Warriors, of course, but the name of this gang... <laughs> was the homicides. And the thing is, is the homicides really couldn't be reasoned with. They did not even want a fictitious gang on their turf. And if you, if you've seen this film, you remember there's um, kind of a scene when the warriors again are trying to make their way from the Bronx back to Brooklyn and they enter a neighborhood in the Bronx and they come across a gang called the orphans. And there's this whole discussion of like turf and wearing your colors and this and that. So, you know, this Coney Island gang, the homicides, they were not having it. They did not want even a fake gang, you know, a movie gang. I mean, they did not want this on their turf. So, uh, you know, the production staff really had to keep an eye on the actors to make sure that they stayed on set. And pretty much when things were done, they took their colors off. They took their warrior vests off. You know, they really had to be watched so that they didn't kind of wander off set because if they wandered off set in these fake colors of theirs, something serious could have happened. Speaking of gangs, uh, there was another gang called the Mongrels who were actually hired by the production staff. They were paid $500 a day uh, to really kind of protect and guard the uh, production trucks and the film trucks. Um Like I said, uh, you know, this film was shot on location. The big summit that Cyrus organizes um, in the film, they say it takes place in Van Cortlandt Park. It was actually filmed in Riverside Park, which is on the Upper West Side, which is actually a very, very nice area. In that summit scene, you see hundreds of hundreds of people there. Most of them are real life gang members because, you know, the the cast of the crew was like they could not hire this many extras. So they actually asked some of the local gangs just to kind of donate some bodies. So most of those people that you see there in that summit scene are real life gang members. Um, Speaking of gangs, like I mentioned, the Baseball Furies, uh, who are probably the most recognizable gang in this film with, you know, their pinstripe uniforms and their face paint. Um, like I said, Walter Hill, who uh, was the director of this film, was a huge baseball fan. He was actually a big fan of the band Kiss, and that's how he developed the Baseball Furies. 
So like I said, there was a bit of controversy with this film. So right after this film was released, unfortunately, because real life gang members were attracted to it and did go to it, there were some incidents of violence in some of the theaters. Because of this, Paramount, after these, you know, kind of initial skirmishes, Paramount pulled all radio and TV ads for the film, um, told theaters that they would pay to hire extra security for them if they wanted, and also told, you know, theaters um, that they would not be sued if they decided to opt out of actually screening this film. Um, Because of that, and I think because of like the subject matter and uh, whatnot, you know, even though it did... You know, it was filmed for a budget of $4 million and it ended up making $22.5 million. It really was not considered a box office success. I think a lot of, uh, from what I read, a lot of um, moviegoers at the time didn't want to see a film that they thought glorified, you know, violence and youth violence. And one of the original movie posters actually had a tagline basically kind of echoing some of the things that Cyrus says in his speech that, look, there's basically 100,000 gang members. They're the warriors of the night. You know, there's only 20,000 cops. They're here to take over kind of a thing. And, you know, that just really wasn't a very strong uh, uh, draw or pulling point for this film. And because of that, it really didn't do well in the theaters. But like I said, with the advent of VHS and DVD and whatnot, um, it has definitely gone on to become a cult classic. And like I said, I've gone to a couple of cons and seen most of the original members of the Warriors showing up, you know, in their colors, uh, signing autographs and whatnot. And they do attract big crowds. I mean, people to this day still love this film. And like I said, after doing a rewatch of this film and really, you know, trying to kind of forget that sort of initial wonder I had when I watched it way, way back when and the few other times that I watched it, you know, it's it's been a good 10, 15 years since I've watched this film. I really said, let me sit down, fresh pair of eyes. Does this film hold up today? Absolutely, it does. Guys, thanks for listening. Do me a favor, head on over to Instagram. Stuff you don't need to know is there. I post pictures about the content that I talk about. This is Jay. I'll talk to you guys later.